0: good morning and welcome as you see we're starting a new series today called pack your bags my name is jason and i'm really excited to start off this new series today i don't know if you're like me but i love new a new year how about you do you like a new year so when we start talking about new year we start talking about what just say the word yeah resolutions now i don't know some of you in this room just said yeah whatever right (laughs) And some of you are like, no, 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 this is, I, I am not just, my personality is not just the, the glass that's half full, like it's full to me, right? I'm not saying, I, I got some bad days and every now and then my children remind me of my bad days, right? And so, but my perspective isn't just glass half full, it's like full. And so when I, when I come across and come up to a new year, I'm like, you know what? A new year is a new opportunity for a new me, right? I know I set some goals last year, and I met some of them, and I did not meet others of them, right? But this is a new year with a new opportunity. If you're like me, raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, one person, two, three. Thank you. Yeah, at first, I mean, I have a little light in my eyes, but at first, I'm like, one person? No, I got two or three more. Okay, and others of you, when you start talking about a new year in resolutions, you start quoting all the bad statistics of those that don't make it. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, you're lying. So so many of you can't even decide. Like I saw some hands go up, others didn't go up. And so for me, listen, new year, new opportunity. And this new series about pack your bags is really about what's what, what are those life essentials that will help us through this journey of life? What are those things that we need in our bag to really get us through? And so this series isn't really about resolutions. It's more so about looking at the things, in the things in our life that will get us to the destination and the journey that we want, because it is true. So many people do have aspirations, and I tell you, it requires grit, it requires discipline, and it requires uh, eliminating so many distractions to really meet those resolutions. And yes, some resolutions work out and some resolutions don't. And me, because my my personality, the glass is full, right? I'm like, so, so you did it for 30 days. It's better than zero, right? But it's not really about resolutions today. I don't know about you, but I am a terrible packer. I am a terrible packer. When I go on a trip, and in fact, I'm going to see my dad this Tuesday, and I am terrible. I guarantee you when I get to my destination, I will, my mind will be blown away and how I could forget bringing more than one pair of pants, right? My mind will be blown away. And I know that if I'm in a hotel, especially if I'm by myself and my wife doesn't bring toothpaste, every time I'm like, who is that guy that actually asked the front desk of a hotel for toothpaste? Well, they have plenty of toothpaste, right? Why? Because people like me don't bring the essentials. Anybody like me? So if you're my wife, she has a list and she, she checks it not just twice, she checks it three times, she checks it four times. I'm like, honey, we said we're going to leave at 10, it's 11.45, the list is fine. And then when we get in the car, I'm like, finally, here we go, let's go. A mile down the road, better than 100 miles down the road, she says, oh my gosh, I forgot. So I go a half mile away from my house and I, and I start slowing down, Rachel, what did you forget? This is the threshold of a U-turn right now. Just tell me before we get out of the Green Lodge neighborhood in Dedham, right? Before we get out, tell me right now, East Street is coming. And once we go around that circle, I can't turn around. And and it works. See, I had it exactly. That's like amen, right? Exactly, yeah. So this makes me feel good to just get this off my chest. I think Rachel's leading worship in the elementary space, so she can't defend her, herself right now. But she is a really good packer. She, she really is good. And in fact, I'll say, honey, will you check through my bag to make sure I have everything? And she'll go through. Jason, did you pack socks? No. Will you help me? How many, how many pairs of socks? See, I'm, I'm so worried and focused on the destination. Like, I'm not worried about the bathing suit. I'm just looking forward to the beach. <laughs> have I ever? Sorry, no, I haven't. I've never gone to the beach without a bathing suit, right? I know there are beaches for that, but like, I'm so worried about the destination and I'm thinking about the destination. I am so excited about getting to the beach. I don't worry about anything else. Now, Levi, my six-year-old, he is a packer. In fact, we don't tell Levi about trips because immediately he gets excited. He goes and gets his bag. He starts putting everything in there. We're like, Levi, we're leaving in three weeks. You don't have to pack. I know, but I got my bathing suit and I got my bunny and I got everything. So I don't know about you, but I thought it'd be a little fun to kind of put some essentials in here. I don't know what your essentials are, but there are some life essentials, right? Now, this is some travel essentials, but there are also some life essentials. And so let's see what we came up with today. For me, here's an essential, right? And I do not like going anywhere without my running shoes. Why? Because I like to run. Any runners in the room? Okay, none. Thank you. (laughs) Um, one, I'm tra- this is an interactive sermon. If I ask a question, it's okay to speak out loud. So I, I, I like to run. I like to go places, and I'm telling you what, I am convinced So if I get to a destination and I forget my running shoes, I want to go out and buy a pair because I don't want to be stuck in the hotel room. I want to go out, run, and explore, and see. So here's a travel life essential. I have only forgotten my running shoes since I started running about five years ago once. Let's see what else we got. This is a good one. You'll like this one. I like the Old Spice commercials. This is a pretty big essential, isn't it? Right? Some of you wives are like, yes, honey, right? It is to your spouse. It is a big travel essential. Here's a big one, depending on where you're going, a passport. In fact, I'm getting to take a fun trip this August with my extended family. We've never done this before with my mom, my dad, and uh, my brother and wife and their kids. And I found mine the other day. I said, honey, this expires April 1st. So I'm glad that I looked at this travel essential this week. My passport, it expires this week. Uh, I'm sorry, in April 1st, it expires. Let's see what else we got. I was texting Don Darnell. I don't know if Don Darnell is in the room. I was texting her about something totally different. I said, hey, Don, I'm working on a sermon. What's a travel essential? You're, You're a woman, all right? So what's a travel essential for you? She said dry shampoo. Wow, okay. We actually had people clap for that. That's great. No clapping for deodorant, no clapping for passports, no clapping for anything else. No, so this is dry shampoo. And my question was, what is that? Now, the light accentuates my baldness. And Lauren, one of our great volunteers in the back, I wore a white T-shirt up here one day. She goes, too much reflection. (laughs) Don't ever wear white on stage again. And I said, yes, ma'am. So I said, dry shampoo? What is dry shampoo? Like, what is this? I don't even, I still don't understand. I said, I asked my wife, I said, Rachel, do you have any dry shampoo? She goes, yes. I said, well, give it to me. I need to show this important travel essential that for which was clapped for. That is supposedly a travel essential. And I said, honey, do you, what do you do with that? You put it in your hair. I said, I, guess, I assume you don't get it wet, right? She goes, yes. Here's a big travel essential I'll put in a bag. What's this? Yeah, sunscreen. That's a pretty big travel essential, right? So huge travel. Here's, here's one that I, that I like. This is my bunny. No, it's not my bunny. Some of you, this is Levi's bunny. And I promise you, this bunny is not just close to, to Levi. This is a travel essential. This is close for the entire family because our family has lost this bunny 1,286 times. <laughs> And, I, and I, I am absolutely dead serious when I tell you that I am attached to this money. Like, when I hear this, it's like, what's that research? Pavlov, whatever, you know. I, I'm th- This is like, oh, love, you know. And Levi, this sound, right now, I promise you, he stopped doing what he's doing in the preschool room. <laughs> and he is curled up in the corner, and he's saying, where's my money? Like, this is a big travel essential in our household. And Rachel, that's Rachel, right? The, yeah, there. Rachel, this is important to us, isn't it? For some reason, Josiah, who no, he's not quite attached to his bunny as much. And I even said this morning, I said, Levi, I need your bunny. Go get your bunny. He goes, No. I said, No, I need your bunny this morning. I'm going to take it to church. He goes, I'm going to take it to church. And I said, You still haven't named this bunny after six years, have you? I said, How about we call it Blue Bunny? He said, No, it's Bunny. So, okay, so I I snuck this in. This is very important. I have my passport that's going to expire soon and his bunny that really uh, can't get lost to you. But there's one more travel essential that we're going to be talking about today. What's this? It's money pretty big travel essential, right? I tend to, and I know I've heard people on the opposite spectrum of this, but I I tend to, when I travel for some reason, I want cash in my pocket. I know what the budget is and I want cash in the pocket and I don't want to swipe our debit card, right? So I just like cash. So cash is a pretty big travel essential, right? Because you can't go anywhere and or do anything without it. Wouldn't you agree? But most of these things aren't really essential. I could, maybe wouldn't live as long, but I could go without running. I could go without deodorant, though not popular. I can certainly go without dry shampoo. But there are some life essentials that we can't go without. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about um, today is involving money. It's pretty important, don't you think? In fact, before um, I drop this and don't lose it, I'm going to put it back in the bag, right? It's pretty important, right? Because it allows us to go and to do that which we want to do. It's also an essential because without it, we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? But today, as we look at the idea of of money, we're not just going to be talking about how to manage it, though there are some good tips on how to manage your money. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most difficult things in our world today. And really, it's been difficult uh, since we started using any form of currency and could you imagine what that topic would be? Anybody? Anybody shout it out? What's one of the greatest problems around money that we have? Savings, Savings is true, what else? Greed. what else? Debt, someone said debt. Today, we're going to be talking about debt. Because it's something, and, and even in this room today, when I say the word debt, some of you are like, yeah, it's just part of life, right? It's interesting when you're an 18-year-old and you get your first card, whether it's a check card, debit card, or you get a credit card. There are some schools of thought that just say, you know, it's a part of life. To establish credit, you have to have a credit card. So when I was 18, my mom got a credit card co-signed in my name, and she never let me have it. And so when a tire was bad in college, she'd say, I'm going to put it on the credit card and pay it off. So she built my credit, and I never did by swiping it right. So it was an established part, at least in my household, that my parents helped me to build that credit. And so in some ways, you're like, it's no big deal. It's a part of life, right? Anybody have a mortgage? The very few people, by far way less than 1%, which I'm not sure how to even calculate that or know that. I looked up a number. It wasn't even worth writing down or remembering. Way less than 1% of people actually have the financial leverage to purchase a home. Way, way, way less than 1% without establishing a mortgage, right? And others of you look at debt and go, it's so bad, it's wrong, it should never be done, like we shouldn't have credit cards, I don't have credit cards, no one needs credit cards, you can establish good credit by showing the bank how much money you make and proving them that you can pay them back. You don't need a credit card. So there's a tension, right, in this. But the tensions that I want to show today around the idea of debt is this, and I want you to, and this will be on the screen, dumping your debt will not only free up your finances, listen to this, but will free your life as well. Dumping your debt will not only free up your finances, but free your life as well. No matter where you are in the school of thought of debt and having a loan, I tell you, no one in this room would disagree that it would be incredible, incredibly incredible for your life, incredible for your future, incredible for your children to have no debt. Wouldn't you agree? And so really what is essential in life is not just that you have money or that you make money or that you manage it well, though all of those are very important and critical to a healthy life. What's most critical as we talk about today is not just avoiding debt, but getting rid of it. And so my encouragement today, we're going to look in the scripture. We're going to look at a few Bible verses that are so powerful and so profound. I want to see all of us get out of debt and avoid it. The Bible has a lot to say about it. But before we jump into a few principles, I'm going to talk to you about a little bit more tension around this subject. Money is a tension topic in and of itself, isn't it? So we can often talk about money as if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And the truth is, both are right. Money is an incredible gift given to us by God. It is an incredible gift. Look at the things that have been done for you in your life, in your past, because someone else was able to provide it for you. Look at the things that you can do for others because of the financial resources that I believe God has provided for you. This church, we love giving. And in fact, I want to tell you, we took in thousands of dollars on Christmas Eve. And our promise was that we were going to give away every single one of those dollars. And we cannot wait to deliver those checks. Money is a good thing and can be used for incredible good. Yeah, you read a lot about a lot of bad things in the world. But there's a lot of good things happening right now today by churches, by nonprofits, by individuals, by families just like you. And just like me, money is an incredible good thing. And it's an incredible good thing because of what people can do and have done with it. Would you agree? But it's also bad, isn't it? I mean, I tell you, even even the way that that the common sense tells us and we read stories and we hear things about money and we're like, that's tragic, right? The Bible says the money is the root of all types of evil. Listen, money is the root of all types of evil. And it's true. Some of the nastiest conversations I have ever been in is when a husband and a wife are on different pages financially. It's sad. Infidelity and finances are the number one and number two. Um, not respectively, because it changes depending on where you are, but by and large, the number one and number two reasons for the cause of separation and or divorce. Differences around these things. So money is the root of all types, all types of evil. Also, some of the nastiest, tough conversations I've ever been in, this is tragic, this is really sad, but some of the toughest conversations I've been in and tried to mitigate conversations with families when, there, when there's someone that has died and that has left money or assets that, without clarity, and people are arguing over a dead man's stuff. I'm telling you, it's tragic. I see heads shaking around the room because you've all heard those stories. I'm like, this is tragic, I've even dealt with something recently where a phone call said, how do I mitigate that conversation? I'm like, don't ask someone else to, because you're going to appear that you're going to bat for yourself. Ask someone else to step in. And pastors are sometimes doing, I'm telling you, terrible conversations. You don't have to turn to the second page of the newspaper to see a struggle around this idea of money. Even the arguing about the tax law, what it does for the low class, what it does for the middle class, what it does for the upper class. There's just differences all around the board. I'm telling you, it creates such incredible tension. So we have this tension around money. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And here's the truth. Both of those are true. And then today, as we talk about debt, I've already mentioned this tension. We have another uh, biblical tension and common sense tension when we look at this idea of debt. Some say it's a good thing. It's necessary. It's okay. No big deal. Some of you are listening right now with no stress. Like, yeah, just part of life. I owe a little bit of money, but I can afford to pay it back. Kind of what happens sometimes when you get a house or buy a car or or I went to school and my parents couldn't afford it. And I didn't say, well, I'm not going to go get an education. I'm going to go to school. Some of you don't worry about that. Some of you, it's the number one biggest stressor in your life right now. It has been in the past year and it will be for the next year because there's an incredible tension when we owe money to people often when we can't even afford to pay it back. And so I want to read through three principles. Principle number one is this. It's no sin to borrow money. It just comes with a cost. Read that again with me. It's no sin to borrow money. It just comes with a cost, right? Some of you are like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, that's good, right? And, and I say that from the Bible's teaching, and, the, and the, there's a proverb I'm going to read to you in just a moment, that it's, it's not ever present in Scripture, as we read it in the Bible or God's truth, where this is pictured as a Sin, right? Where it's wrong to borrow money. So there's nothing wrong with doing it. That's not just Jason's opinion. I'm telling you from the scripture, from what we see in the Bible, what we see in God's truth is that there's no sin, there's no offense to God when you borrow money from someone, right? But it comes with a cost. So let's look at the scripture together. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Isn't that interesting? So what you can look at this and say, well, the rich rule over the poor. Oh, that's like this. Yeah, the rich will get richer and the poor will get more poor, right? No, that's not what this is saying. And it's not saying that, that, that the rich are just out to make the, the, the interest on money, right? Or that banks are out there just to be domineering over you, right? That's not, it's not the attitude of the rich or the attitude of the poor. It's just a principle that shows who's in charge. Have you ever scheduled a meeting with a bank and said, so-and-so, to use Chad, who's in front of me, to use Chad's name, Chad, good to meet you. Thank you for meeting with me. Um, Listen, I have developed some terms for you, banker, Chad, and the terms are, I want to borrow $10,000, and in the next 12 months, at my discretion, I will pay you 11, and you will net $1,000. The banker's going, whoa, 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 hold up, no, 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 you're not in charge, right? You can't sit down with a bank and set the terms. You cannot call Capital One, though you would like to, and say, hey, I see this 16.99% APR. I really want to lower that to 1599 And they'll say, sure, you can transfer it to another bank with a transfer fee, right? But no, you don't set the terms. And so this is what this is showing. The rich are in charge of those who borrow from them. That's why it says the borrower is slave to the lender. So slave is kind of a strong word, isn't it? It's even a strong picture when you think, well, is that wrong or no? What this is an illustration showing that they are in charge. You are not in charge. You cannot set the terms. You cannot change the terms. They're responsible for setting the terms. So the bank says, no, you can borrow $10,000 with this interest level. Take your time up to 60 months to pay me back. But if you pay me back slowly, that's going to end up costing you $16,000. You pay me back quicker? Yeah, the interest will cut into it. You'll pay me back less. And then you say yes or you say no. The rich are in charge of the finances, and they rule over you. So when you borrow money, it's good to remember, and we all know this, it's just a good principle to remind ourselves, the rich rule over the poor. And when you borrow, you're slave to that person that gives you that money. Principle number two is this. Oh, let me say this about principle number one. If we can put principle number one back up on the screen for just a moment. Let me say this too. Let me add a sentence to this that's in Other Truths, and I want to, to remind us something about principle number one. Remember I said it's no sin to borrow money, right? But I will say this. There's a major problem with not paying it back. That's like, it should be stated. It should not be given. That's where the offense comes in is that when a man or woman cannot pay back, right? That's where the problem is. It's no big deal to say, Chad, I, I totally forgot my wallet and you're going to lunch with a banker. So it's a good idea to forget your wallet. Chad, can, can you you know buy my lunch? I will pay you back. No big deal, right? But if I don't pay him back, Chad's like, you know, no big deal for the 10 bucks, but he always says one thing and does another. That's where the offense comes in. So what's said, it's no sin to borrow money, but I would say it's a sin and an offense to not pay it back. Principle number two is this. The wise man will save what he has, but the fool will spend it all. The wise man will save what he has, but the fool will spend it all. Let's look at this uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. The wise store up choice food. Actually, you're looking at a different translation, aren't you? Let me read this one that's on the screen. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. I'll read that again for you. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now, hopefully, there's a, probably, hopefully, each person that can be balanced can say, you know, I've done a little bit of both at times. But the opposite's really not true. Our personalities like to lend itself to being one that saves versus one that spends. If you're a, if you're a spender in the room, oh, maybe I should be nice. If you're a saver in the room, raise your hand. Your, your go-to when someone gives you, okay, not many people, good. All right, how about spender? If you're the spender in the room, raise your hand. All right, okay, not, so, okay, yeah. So our personalities are, are very different, right? But what this, what this shows, and we can see this in children, we give them $10, one is burning to spend 20, right? I mean, they, they have spent the money before they get it, right? The other person's like, oh, this is gonna be good. And they put it back in there and they're like, no, I don't want that. I'm going to save it. Right. But look at this precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. So the wise person doesn't spend everything he gets. The wise person takes money and says, you know what? I'm going to need this. But the fool devours it. Lots of sayings like this. My mom used to say this. I heard this a lot. How yeah, money's going to burn a hole in your pocket. Right. That money's going to burn a hole in your pocket. And for me, for a long time, it did. Like, I knew what my paycheck was going to be, and I knew that I wanted to give some to the church. And after that 10% that I gave to the church, I got 90%. And I had a plan for every single dollar. A plan for every single dollar and more, right? I don't know if you're like me, but the Bible gives a warning in this principle that says the foolish man devours it. I read a good article last week about saving And in fact, most of you, I said, what's the most important critical thing around money that we could be talking about? Today, you said savings. There's a reason so many people said the word savings. It's because so many people don't do it and they know they need to, or you've done it and you feel comfort from it, right? You're encouraged to say, you know what? If something happened to my job, we can make it for 90 days without a penny that comes into our banking account some financial analysts say the average American because of the rate of return of how long it takes you to save, how long it takes you to get a job. If you lose your job, a lot of financial analysts say you need six months worth of your operating budget in your banking account. Six months. I don't know the number, but I'd say very few Americans have ever done that or are currently doing that right now. Right? There's a lot of money and there's a lot of comfort from saving up money. But this article was one of the tips that it said was don't spend your bonus. Right? Don't spend your bonus. I think this is interesting because to me, even though I like to save, I, you know, when you get a bonus, you're like, oh, what can we do? Right? It just begs the question, what should this go to? And this article was, was really referencing that's a mindset. And I know <laughs> people looking at each other like spouses looking at each other. Yeah, yeah, it's you. Right? <laughs> or, hey, we should do that. Right? But there's a mindset to say when you get additional things. It's good to have a mindset that says there's a pocket for that. There's a savings for that, right? We don't have to spend what we get in. And so some people, Christmas bonus, this is a good time of year to talk about it. If your Christmas bonus is already gone, don't worry. Don't feel bad, right? The person beside you um, is. And you may say, "Why well, didn't get a Christmas bonus. Well, you, you may get a $200 check in the future. And you go, wow, what can I do with this? Oh, I've been saving up for this. or I've been saving up for that. Before you know it, even before it goes in your account, it has already been spent, Right? But it's a mindset to say, you know what? I have to save, not with just my salary, but with extra things that come in. This is a mindset. The wise man will store up his treasure and his oil, right? And be wise for the future. But the fool simply devours it. Principle number three, the wise man will count the cost before making a final decision. The wise man will count the cost before making a final decision. Let's read a few verses from Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. Let's let's read this. I'll read this to you. Luke 14, verses 28 through 30, if we could put that on the screen. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. It's a great parable and a teaching from Jesus. And so he starts this by saying, which of you, if you wanted to build a tower, let's say a house because we don't, we don't build many towers anymore, right? Which of you, if you wanted to build a house, would not first sit down and evaluate whether or not you have enough money to complete it? Seems like common sense, right? But it's so easy for all of us to do this and to be guilty of what Jesus was encouraging us not to be guilty of. It's easy to say, you know what, I want to do this, and I have the financial leverage or the financial margin or the savings to do it, and so I do it. Have you ever rushed into a financial decision without looking at the details? I have. I remember one of the mistakes that Rachel and I made early on in our marriage um, was that we purchased a car without studying really how much it was worth and i realized after about 6 months that when i got a letter about gap insurance i was like, "huh, oh, what's this gap insurance?" of course the dealer would not offer gap insurance cuz they're not saying, "hey, congratulations. You're about to spend $20,000 on a car that's only worth 14." Well, have I mean, what car dealership would tell you that, right? But they in some of the paperwork, it's kind of offered as an option, but they're not going to make a big deal. They're going to make a big deal about you buying a car and making sure that you pay for the additional warranty on the car, right? This gap insurance thing I'd never heard of, and I thought, wait a second, is this car really? Do I owe more money on this car than it's actually worth? Thankfully, we didn't have an accident or anything and didn't, never had to use that gap insurance. But I thought, how silly is it that I'm, I'm paying for gap insurance? I'm paying for a financial mistake that I made, Right? that no one would give me, if I had an accident in that car, no one would give me what I owe on it. No one would give me what I owe on it because I agreed to pay more money for that car than for what it actually was worth. And I know we all have those stories, of those financial decisions that we make, without looking at the details. But Jesus says, listen, how crazy would it be for you to start building a house without really thinking about what it's going to require of you to actually complete that house? And actually, to, to give this even a little bit more fire, Jesus says, and we just read that together, hey, listen, wouldn't everyone that, that comes by and looks at this, you laid a foundation and you put a few sticks up, but you couldn't finish it? Wouldn't people come by and just mock you, right? It, it would be a shame, Jesus says, to start a process without actually being able to finish it. So for me, we would love to renovate our home. That we live in and so we have a wonderful little cape we're very grateful for it four bedroom one bath but we like many of you have these dreams and aspirations and every time i begin to to work through that excel sheet of what what's going to what, what it's going to require for me to really do what we want i come to a very quick conclusion that i can't do this yet right And even part of me and Rachel's like, just stop talking about it. Because on Tuesday, you think you can do it. On Wednesday, you think you can't. On Thursday, I'm like, we're ready. Like I wake up one day, hey, Rachel, we really could do this for this amount of money. And I think I could do it. But what happens if I knock down a wall and I estimated $2,000 for this new structure of support. And someone, contractor comes in and says five. I'm like, that's too much money. And I look around and all the contractors are saying between five and eight and all of a sudden I owe $4,000 that I can't pay because I didn't estimate correctly. Like it scares me. And so we have decided to wait. We've decided not to knock down that wall, right? And for me not to look at the details of that, it would be crazy. I could put my family in financial stress because I don't look at the details. And Jesus says the same. What man before building a tower would not look look at his, look at what he has and evaluate whether or not he has enough to do it? So three things I want to give you really right here that will not be on the screen. So you can write these down. They're not in the notes as well. But number one is this, evaluate meticulously. The encouragement for you to do this for your finances and what you decide to purchase and what you decide to do is evaluate meticulously. And that what that means is not letting Jason evaluate the renovation budget, but let four building contractors evaluate the renovation budget, right? Let them bring their expertise to the table. Just because I can hang crown molding doesn't mean I know the cost of what someone's going to charge me to do all the carpentry in my house, right? And so we have to evaluate meticulously. And it means even though you're an adult calling someone else and saying, hey, there's this car. Take a look at it for me. Do you think I should buy this? And in someone else's wisdom and someone else's perspective, they say, man, I just did a quickcars.com search. I think I found the same car for like $7,000 less right? Call people, ask people to evaluate, not just you evaluating meticulously. Yes, you should should ask your, your spouse to evaluate it with you, but there's so much more. There are people that are smarter, wiser than all of us, right, that we can go to that will help us evaluate meticulously before we make financial decisions. Number two is this, consider your cash. Now, while this should be a given, it's just not, right? So one of the things that banks do, Whenever you go to them, they study your ability to pay back, right? So they look at your income to debt ratio. They say, what's your income? Just to use easy math, you say you make $8,000 a month, but yet your expenses are at $3,000 a month. Well, you have plenty of financial margin to pay me $500 for this car. Yes, I approve your loan, right? So they're looking to what what you bring in versus what you push out if your financial margin right now, if I went to each and every single one of you, not going to do this, hello, but if I went to each and every single one of you and said, after all of your expenses, what's your margin? How much could you afford to set aside in an envelope for the next expense? Some of you might say, nothing. All my money that comes in goes out. And that's a stressor. And I understand that. I've been there. And I, we have been there. It's not like the days when Rachel and I first got married. We had two incomes, no kids. The dog food don't cost that much, right? I'm like, this is pretty nice. And I, I so regret because I'm a financial guy. I like finances and numbers. Um, and uh, so I look back and think, all oh, the money we could have saved that we didn't. Like it just, I'm like, I could have paid off a mortgage in six years with your income. I mean, it's crazy. Not a mortgage in Boston. Hello. Um, let me be clear. I was living in South Carolina at that time. You're like, dang, what did she do? You know, go up to my wife after work. You should go back to work. Cause you have a lot of margin, right? But looking back, when I look at those numbers, I'm like, man, we had we had financial margin. And I look to the days where we just don't, right? And even today when I look at the financial margin, it's not the same. Some of you could say, you know what, I have margin. I have a, you know, $1,000 a month margin that we save here. We do this and we do that, right? You have to evaluate. And let me tell you, I would not trust, and this is me not throwing banks under the bus at all, but like historically, don't just trust a bank to answer that question. Can I afford this? Ask someone else. That's non-family, non-bank related. Banks have historically, some do a good job of making sure that they manage and and give debt uh, when they can. Other banks do not, Right? And so, yeah, I think, I think almost anybody can get alone with the right person, right? <laughs> anybody can. And so find people out there to help you, right? And this is a good opportunity to tell you that we are doing a class, and it'll be on the screen. You may have seen it earlier called Money Matters. And I'm going to facilitate this discussion. We're going to watch a few videos from financial experts. So this isn't just me. I'm not a financial planner. I'm a pastor, right? But we have a, a financial um, guy that's going to help facilitate this. We're going to watch some videos together, have a lot of great discussions. So we're doing a class called Money Matters. would love for you to sign up. You can sign up for that class in the app. It's the next three Sunday evenings in January, the 14th, 21st, and 28th. 6 to 7.30 right here. I'll facilitate that. I'm looking forward to it. I would love for you to be a part of this class where we're going to look at things like the things that we have been talking about, about income and about savings and about debt, right? And so I'd love for you to sign up for that class. The third thing after considering your cash is, is, is this, display patience. Display patience. Can I get a, I don't do that? Can, can someone say that? I don't do that. Like, we just don't, do we? And I'm telling you, that's so hard. It's so hard for me when I look at our house and I just want to knock down a wall. Fun, first, because, like, you know, when I see people like uh, Chip Gaines on Fixer Upper knock down a wall, I'm like, that's fun. I don't know. I don't know about you. I know you ladies are like obsessed with Joanna Gaines, or most people are. I looked at her number of Twitter followers recently. I'm like, is that like better than the president? Probably. Um, and so it's it's incredible. But I see Chip Gaines like knocked down a wall. I look. I, I walk in the kitchen. I'm like, I could knock it down. <laughs> Who needs a sledgehammer? I just want to hit something, right? But 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 I realize that my cash can't support it, and I don't want to borrow over over a certain amount. And so I have a decision to make. I guarantee you, by the end of this week, I could get Dedham Savings, who has my mortgage, to give me what I need for that house. I know. I know that they would do it because of the the financial debt-to-income ratio that they give. we got a good deal in our house. I know there's enough equity to do it. But I know I have to display patience. It's hard. And I have not displayed patience in the past. We have not displayed as a family, patience in the past. But in order to overcome debt, in order to get rid of debt, we have to evaluate meticulously and we have to make sure we consider our cash and we have to display patience. For I know all of these things will not only honor God, but will pave the way towards a financial freedom that I know you and I both want. Speaking of mortgage, does anyone know what that word means? Now, listen, before I tell you this, I have a mortgage, all right? (laughs) And so don't think that I'm hating on anyone that has a mortgage. I have no problem with mortgage debt. I have no problem with with that at all. Um, It's not because I have mortgage debt, but just because I realize that no one would own a home. And I think mortgages are good for the economy. They're good for banks. But let me tell you, the word mortgage, it actually comes from the root word, which has a Latin derivative. M-O-R-T sounds like the beginning of the word mortician, mortuary. The word mort actually literally means death. Like, come on, Banks, you got to change that name. I, I don't, I, I'm, not starting, I'm not starting like some petition to change the word mortgage. Can't you just call it lending? It's what it is, right? But then the end of the word, G-A-G-E, has a few different derivatives. But it basically means and derives from a word that means your pledge, your sacrifice, your commitment. And so some can translate the word mortgage into death sentence, death pledge, right? Unto death do us part. No. Unto mortgage do us part. Every now and then we say, hey, do you own a home? I always want to say no, because I don't. Dedham Savings owns that home. Actually, no one owns that home, right? It's like, it's not mine. The title's in my name, right? Right. But I don't own that home because I have not completely paid for it. Mortgage is a word that commits, hey, until death or until you pay me back, it's mine. That's what the word mortgage means. Again, nothing wrong with a mortgage. No problem in borrowing money. You just have to be faithful to be a person, a man or a woman of your word to actually pay it back. But a mortgage is like a death pledge. So if you pay me back, I'll sign it over. It's yours. But if you die first, right? I mean, that's kind of like mort. Gidge. Kind of crazy, isn't it? But listen, I know the financial stress and I've lived it and I've seen it. I've experienced it for myself. And I know that with the right habits and principles, we can overcome this. It's not God's teaching or the scripture's teaching what we see in Jesus because he wants something from you. It's that he wants it for you. Who wants financial freedom? I think everyone does. How do we get there? through the right knowledge, through the right sacrifice, right? And through the right discipline, we can get there. So do sign up for that Money Matters class. But as we close, i got three final things for you. Number one is this. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how to do this, what to do with this. But number one is this, create a budget. And I know this is like so profoundly simple, right? But we have to create a budget. Some of you said, well, I got a budget. I just can't. And here's number two, stick to your budget. So many, of your, so, so many of you, you need someone else to create your budget for you, not your spouse. Nothing wrong with them. You need someone else to look at your budget. I, in fact, I'm giving this advice. I've never done this, okay? I'm just talking to myself here. I need to do this. I need to give some of my budget. say, so what do you think about this? Why are you spending that? Why are you doing this? Why don't you try this instead, right? Creating a budget and sticking to a budget is profoundly simple, but it's profoundly hard, right? And number three is this. Say no to what you can't afford in order to say yes to what you have to afford. Say no. This is the discipline of saying no. This is the discipline that that is required of us. Say no to what you can't afford in order to say yes to what you have to afford. It's hard, isn't it? But the ability to create a budget, sticking to that budget, and then the discipline of saying no and stating it in the positive, saying yes to the things that you have to afford can only be done by you saying no to the things that you can't afford. And I know in this 30, 35 minutes of me sharing, I've opened up a lot of conversation, right? Between you and me, between you and your spouse, between you and your budget. I know there's so much more to this. This is a lifelong journey, but I tell you, this money that I brought on stage here, uh-oh, where is it? This money that I brought on stage is essential. There is nothing inherently wrong with this money right? But it can be the most greatest blessing in your life if used well, if used in practice and discipline. It can be an incredible blessing. I'm thankful for every dollar that God gives me. I'm reminded that it is all from him. it's all because of the money that I have that I'm able to do. It's because of you giving to this church. We're just in a few moments, we're going to take an offering. It's because of you giving to this church that we are able to help children in need, that we were able to give Christmas to kids that could not, well, the kids can't afford it, Who have parents cannot afford it. It's an incredible blessing, but I know it's an incredible bondage too. And I know how much it feels to feel like, yeah, I I am a slave to all the things that I owe. I know what that feels like. And I know that you need help, and I know that I need help. And so sign up for the course. The next thing you feel like, I can't go to the course, but I need help. Send us an email. Put it even in the prayer request. It'll come to me as a pastor and say, hey, I need financial help. I'd love to talk, connect with you. I'd love to connect you with a financial planner. We have some, some people at this church that are really good financially. I know that there are people that would love to sit down with you and be that sounding board to say, hey, let me take a look and let me help you for where you are because this is essential and it can be an incredible blessing in your life if used well, but also can be that bondage that I know we all want to escape. So in packing your bags, let's together dump the debt. Let's pray.